Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. All right, so today's verse that we're going to start off with, I think you'll recognize it. It's out of the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, if you've ever watched the NFL, you've seen that one, right? Tim Tebow used to put it on his eyelids or on those, you know, those to the tape. Go Gators. Um, you know, uh, but it's very important and it's far more important even than it's been made out, made out to be. And what I want to focus on today is uh, there's something that, that happened 1,993-ish years ago concerning that truth and that reality which blew the lid off the world. And um, there's, a, there's a word in there that I think it's very important that we understand, and that is the only begotten, what's been translated as the only begotten. And um, God loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Monogenes, what is this? The only son that he ever had. Well, that's what it's been made to be. But that's not what it is. Monogenes, his one-of-a-kind son. A son of God that was different than any son of God that had ever walked the face of the earth, and many had. You know, the sons of God. You know, the name for the Elohim, the stars that were, you know, the ones that rejoiced at the stars being thrown across heaven. The one of a kind, one that was different than any other son of God that had ever manifested. And this being written by Jesus' best friend, who starts his gospel with. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He wasn't a little G, junior version. He was actually God. And He was that way before time and space. Mm-hmm. That's the key to the map. That's the legend to this whole map of this whole puzzle, that when you find that reality, that's what the whole gospel is about. And here Jesus is articulating this about God so loving the world that he gave this one distinct, one-of-a-kind son to it that would redeem it all. You know what I mean? And John giving us the key to the map in the very opening lines of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when we see this person, this Jesus, we're actually seeing God embodied, the embodiment of Yahweh. The embodiment of God in human form. All throughout the scriptures, Colossians, Hebrews, obviously John, giving us this understanding. And so when we're looking at this, I think it's really important even to look at the context of that verse when he's saying this, because I think that's something else that unlocks the beauty of this day, of what we're all really celebrating, you know, uh, of the resurrection of the Son. And, and, And so... That's where I'm going to go with this. John 3 is where we'll start off. As is the custom around here, a lot of times I like to say, hey, let's watch this like a movie. Because when we we stare into this and we look into this and we see what God himself, the embodiment of Yahweh, or the fullness of deity embodied, as it says, right? Colossians 2. It's like when we see Jesus articulating these truths that no one understood or no one grasped, that it says in 1 Corinthians 2 that If the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. It was their absolute greatest mistake because they did not realize who he was. He was one of a kind. He was not who they thought. And it was always his plan. It was a brilliant plan, the most beautiful plan. And he lays out his plan to, of all people, a Pharisee, a man from the Sanhedrin council, who were almost always enemies of the Lord. And it is incredible to watch. So we'll look at this verse in its context today in John 3. It's about the story of Jesus being introduced to a man named Nicodemus. I've loved this story for, golly, since I've been saved, I've always just found so much in it. And there was, 
we'll, we'll just kind of read through it, maybe a little cliff notes, but I might actually just read it quickly. John 3, there was this man named, named Nicodemus who was a ruler of the Jews. He was a high-level Pharisee, and he was on the Sanhedrin Council. He was, he was a governmental authority and teacher of their traditions. It says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And it's interesting because here you have, it's kind of like when Saul was on his way to persecute Jesus or the Christians, you know, drag him off, put him in jail, kill him, all these different things. And he gets enveloped in light in the book of Acts, right? And instantly he kind of taps out and says, who are you, Lord? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? He instantly sub becomes submissive to him. This Saul, who's the, the leader of who God truly is, and he's against everything that this new way, this Christianity Jesus is about, instantly flips. When we watch this, this thing like a movie in John 3, this high-level Sanhedrin council, mature teacher, Pharisee, Nicodemus, is literally coming with that subservient yield from the, from the jump. And he's doing it by night because he knows if he actually comes and talks to him by day, he's going to get so much heat from it from all of his contemporaries. So he creeps up to Jesus at night when nobody can be around. Obviously, somebody's there, John or whoever's writing this, you know. And he literally announced, calls him rabbi, teacher. And he's explaining, I'm having a hard time with all of this, but I know that you're from God. I know that you're on the right side and you're onto something. You know something. You're the real thing because nobody could do what you're doing unless they're truly from God. Remember, all the other Pharisees are always like, he casts out demons by demons, by Beelzebub. He's empowered by something demonic. You know, he's like healing people breaking the Sabbath in, the, in their estimation. You know, he, he looses the tongue of a mute, right? And it's like, oh, he, he did that by a demon. It's like, huh? Where do you even get this accusation? Nicodemus is in his right mind enough to say, no, 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 no. I understand, like, you're on the real. You're the real thing. I don't know what you are, but I'm, giving, I'm yielding to you, to you enough for you to tell me what it, whatever it is you are, whatever it is that you know. It's really, really beautiful, and it's very humble. And it was probably very difficult for him. But Jesus answers the way he talks so many times. He tells us what is best for us and what we need to hear, even, even though we don't fully have the guts to fully articulate what we need to communicate to him. He answers and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> and it's just like, hey, man, I know that you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do these things. So, like, help me out. And then you want to go say something that crazy, that, that strange. No one can see the kingdom of God without a new birth, without being born again. Yeah. To which Nicodemus, having a difficult time, says, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his, mom a second, his mom's womb and a second time be reborn? Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Come on. Says the same thing, but now he actually, he actually articulates it a little bit more. That which is born of the flesh is, born, is the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Your traditions, your customs, and your ways. They are completely separate from relational connection to God. But this new thing that you're acknowledging that I am a leader of, that I am somehow sent by God, I'm here to communicate to you. If you want to be born again, I'm telling you, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you won't see the kingdom of God. And what he's saying there, which is what so many people had trouble with, and still to this day, is yes, this new covenant that's being established is the thing which was prophesied forever ago by all the prophets. Ezekiel 36, 26. Like, I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to cleanse you. The heart of, 
of stone I will remove and the heart of flesh I will put within you. You know, Jeremiah 31, 33, like you, everybody will know me. They will all have this connection, right? Isaiah 50, you know, 59, you know, it's like this prophecy that like little, little sweeties. We like babies around here, you know, Um, but it's like this, this prophecy, like God's talking to Isaiah. In Isaiah 59, 14, like he's literally telling him, like, this spirit that is upon you, the way that you prophesy, the way you connect, this is going to be upon all your descendants and your children's children from this time and forevermore. They'll all know me. There's a relational connection that's going to direct people, and it won't be a, a list, a rule book of the knowledge of what's good and what's evil that you will follow in separation from actually knowing me and being led into truth. And he's like giving him these truths. But in order to see this and to be directed this way, you have to be born of water and born of the Spirit. He's also saying, hey, the dreadlock down at the River Jordan that y'all thought was crazy and even said had a demon who doesn't drink alcohol at all and eats bugs. John, it was me. It's of, I'm on that, that's the same team. Like, it was all me. It's all God and it's all real. This Pharisee's like, just tell me what's real. I know that you're of God. Just lay it out for me. You want to be born again? You must be born of the water. You know that weird dunking thing John was doing? The baptism is that your life must be submerged into this reality. Just as, you know, Nicodemus knows all the, it's like, have you ever talked to somebody that loves like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings? You can talk about, yeah, I remember when Luke got his hand cut off and they're just like, oh yeah, I'm right there. You know what I'm saying? Nicodemus, he's speaking Nicodemus's language throughout this whole passage, if you can see it. And this communication, like, yeah, just like, just like the baptism of the Red Sea where, where Pharaoh could not follow them. It was swallowed. And the baptism of the Jordan River Right? Where our people came to inherit the promised land. The baptism, the water left all the way back to Adam, no accident there, and they moved into the promised land. Now, Dreadlock John's at the Jordan River dunking people, and it was all about what he's doing, and what he's doing is all about me. In other words, John's message was true. Jesus said John was the greatest prophet ever born, ever born of a woman, but that those in the kingdom side of the covenant are even greater. That's a wild statement. Amen. But what is he saying? John's message. Well, what was John's message? Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Of the elect? No, 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 no. Of every, of the whole world. It's available for everyone. That's John's word. That's the Lamb. Everyone like, what are you talking about? Well, we have Passover and we remember the baptisms, you know, the Red Sea and all that stuff. Yeah, that, that's what it is. Like, no, 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 no. It was all about him. The lamb doesn't matter at all. The sacrifices are just about to be done. That's what John's trying to say. And he's the one. And he's going to break the whole thing off of everybody. And I'm, I feel unfit, but I'm going to dunk him in this Jordan River because he's doing something. And now you got Jesus talking to Pharisee a Sanhedrin saying like, he's on to it, man. The Pharisee's on to it. I mean, the Pharisee or, the, or the, the dreadlock is on it. That hairy guy is on it, man. And that was, the, that was the deal. So that's point number one of him sitting there saying, hey, you want to be born? You, again, it's got to be of water, but also of the Spirit. Yeah. This baptism that represents something far more than you've ever imagined that the greatest prophet of all time is demonstrating, but I'm here to actually baptize humanity into. Ooh, boy. It's just like the disciples. You know, when Jesus was resurrected, he comes back today. He comes back on Sunday, later on that night, and it says that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's, that's in Luke 24. He had to open their mind like, this is what this meant. This is what that meant. This is what this, you know, he had to explain all these things, which he purposely kept hidden. Because if the rulers of this world would have ever known who he was, they would have never gone through with it. The disciples were expecting him to take the kingdom back and kick Rome out of the town. And his end game was different. It was the entire planet and everybody that ever lived and ever would live being paid for. His game was so much bigger than ours. We're playing backyards, two-hand touch football. He's in the Super Bowl. 
Not even a Super Bowl. He's in a whole nother game. He's in a whole nother redemption. And here he is communicating, right? He's kind of communicating this to a Pharisee in their introduction, and it's blowing his mind. All right, you think I'm from God? So was John. And what he said about me was true. Yeah, man, that's pretty nice. But you know I love, I love John. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? <laughs> you can see Nicodemus', Nicodemus brain is sweating. It's like sore, like, oh. It's like, I know that you're a teacher. I know that you're from God, and I'm, I'm yielding to you. You're younger than me. I'm the authority, but like, I know you're from God, born of water and the Spirit. Like, oh, but like, we're the messianic race. Like, we're, the, we're, the, we're God's people. It's like, yeah, no, you don't count. Like, everybody has to be baptized into this reality. It's for the whole world. You're not grandfathered in because of your religion. It doesn't matter. It's all this is what I'm bringing. Yeah, man. How can this thing, how can this be? Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of all of Israel and you don't know these things? Hmm. Imagine that. The highest levels of teachers not even knowing the basic way of the Lord. That would be bad, wouldn't it? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen and you don't receive our witness. Like, why are you talking in plurals? How do you think Nicodemus feels? If I've told you earthly things and you didn't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. What? Imagine your brain right there. Imagine, imagine the I am. A few years later, he's going to tell them Pharisees, before Abraham was I am. He doesn't break out like that too often. He doesn't come glowing white like the Mount Transfiguration too often. He stays very stealth, but here he is with a one-on-one -on -one with a high-level Pharisee. And that's what he wants to say. How can I tell you these spiritual things when you're, so, when you're so carnal? You're supposed to be one of the teachers, man. You have to get this stuff. Wax on, wax off. You've been training, you've been reading, you've been understanding all these things, but you've never fully understood them. And now I'm giving you the spiritual truths behind them. But he was sowing the seeds of eternity into this man's mind and heart. Who was going to become a follower of his. Who was yielding to him. No one's ascended to heaven. This, this speech, like what we see, and he knows. It's like he's a Star Wars fan. Or fill in the blanks, you know. He knows this. The Word of God is speaking the written Word of God to this man in analogies. No one's ascended except for the one who descended. That's the Son of Man. The God-Man, that's what that is. Yeah. That's Daniel 7, the, the, the Ancient of Days that Daniel sees, but, but then there's this Messianic King that there's one that, that looks like a Son of Man, and he's approaching him on clouds like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's this, there's this two binary, this, this, this Godhead figure in a vision in, in Daniel called the son of man you know there's this there's this whoa this 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 interesting concept that's that's in that god is far more than what we've thought and here he is speaking third person about the son of man and talking about no one's actually ascended like genesis 28 jacob's ladder the covenant of your people that was on a rock you know what i mean when when jacob laid down and went to sleep. You guys read the Bible. I think you can all follow me. But it's like he's, he's, he's using the same ascending and descending language, just like he did in John 151 with his disciples when he first met them. No one has ascended to heaven except for the Son of Man who's descended from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And can you see Nicodemus' brain cramping up right about now? This man, you're asking me who I am. He's asking him, who are you? What are you? I know that you're from God. Would you explain it? Yes, baptism, water, and spirit. New covenant. John was the real thing. How can you tell me these spiritual truths? This is crazy. I'm having trouble with it. No one's ascended. No one's gone up like Jacob's ladder except the one who came down. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And it's just like, here's, here's the multidimensional God who is omnipresent, he is absolutely everywhere, and he is embodied before you at the same time. Now, it doesn't say that he ate a mushroom before meeting him, right, on accident. 
Right? You know what I'm saying? He didn't accidentally inhale some, you know, it's like here, but here he is finding himself in front of what he believes is the inapproachable God. The, the inapproachable light that you cannot come around has veiled himself. He's actually come down and, embod- and been embodied as a human. And he's catching this, what he's throwing, like no one's been there, up there, except for the one that came down. And not only that, I'm also there right now. He's communicating. I'm in here in front of you. I'm in heaven right now. And you are, you are, he is being introduced to the multidimensional God. He is, if you can see it, he's in the holiest place of his temple. The temple where he actually worked. The Sanhedrin met there every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And within that temple was the, what we, the, the mock-up of the tabernacle, the priestly temple. So, so he understands these things. I'm in the tent of meeting that Moses used to go into. That's what they called the tabernacle. It was called the tent of meeting. The whole thing's always been relational. You feel me? When you read this in the Old Testament, when you read Leviticus and you read the design of this thing, when you go in the temple, Steve opened up with it, the veil that was torn. It's like you literally stepped in on the, on the outside of the temple was this labor, is this water thing. And before that, there was an altar where they would actually have to, you know, do the old the animal sacrifice, and it was a little bit bloody to atone for their sin and, and to atone for the priest to be able to even go in before the presence of God. But then he'd step into this labor, which was this round um, dish type of thing that was full of water, and he would wash himself, and he would wash, and the blood, kind of graphic, but the kids aren't in here, but the blood from his hand from, from you know, cutting the dang goat's neck, you know, or lamb, it, it's 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 getting washed off his hands. And the inside of that laver, of that basically like a big sink full of water, was made of glass. So then he saw himself through this bloody water. He could see his own real reflection. It's all prophetic. He saw himself through that blood. And then he would actually go inside of what was called the holy place, the largest section of the tabernacle or the the tent of meeting as they try to call it. And, And he would actually be there and there was the menorah, the seven candlestick, right? You know, there was the showbread representing the word of God that you could not actually eat without seeing because it was pitch black in there. So the Holy Spirit, the, the illumination had to be there to actually see what was in the Bible, the word. Then there was the uh, incense, which was representing intercession. But then there was the holy place that Steve mentioned. This curtain that was thicker than a phone book that had angels literally sewn into its fabric and palm trees sewn in the fabric on the walls and on the curtain to, to, to paint this picture that Eden had been heaven on earth for a time. The place where heaven and earth touched God's throne, his man was there. Adam, Adam and Eve, which were Adam. Man dropped the ball, gave the keys to the dark one, got kicked out of the garden. Now heaven and earth did not touch. It was a different dimension. But all the Jews believed, Nicodemus included, the only place where heaven and earth touched was inside, now now the temple, but was inside that little tabernacle. And the the only place where where they would actually have to atone and make sacrifice just to make the temple itself holy enough, all those sacrifices was to purify the temple so that God could be there and man could be there in front of him and make atonement for man's sin every single year on Yom Kippur. And so he would go into that back room, which was the Holy of Holies, with the Ark of the Covenant, which you, you don't even touch it because you might just drop dead, right? From, from Indiana Jones and the Rays of the Lost Ark, if you've never seen that movie, right? But, well, really from the Bible, before that, actually, if you, if you didn't know that. Um, but it was back there in the holiest place. And he would sprinkle blood on that, what they called the mercy seat. And it had two angels covered in gold that faced each other on top of this box. And that was the one place where the high priest was atoned and cleaned enough to go into a sacred space that was atoned and cleaned enough to be around God's presence once a year. Nicodemus is standing in front of that ark, looking in his eternal eyeballs. And he's telling him eternal truths. No one has has ascended into heaven except for the one who descended from heaven who's actually in heaven right now, if you really want to know the truth. You want to hear something really crazy? I'm there right now, and you're right here with me right now. And it's just like, can you see Nicodemus is like, I can't deal with it, man. 
you know? I don't think he was a redneck, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, oh, man. Ah, ah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But here he is being introduced to I am face to face, and I am pleasant and kind to him. You know what I mean? He's in the temple. Like, I'm not, I'm not allowed to. I mean, look at like Elijah. Or I'm sorry, look at Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. When he, when he got into the heavenly realm, he's shouting, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm a man of unclean lips. And they're like, take a, take a colon, touch his tongue and make him feel okay. You know what I mean? It's just like, well, I, I can't be here. It's like, I, you're welcome here. Yes. Even though you're ashamed of me and you're creeping here by night, yeah. I'm going to lay this thing out for you. I know you're not fully going to get it because even my disciples aren't going to get it until I come back after dying. But I'm going to give you some real food for thought and you're going to chew on this. He called him a teacher of Israel. You know, you're going to be a teacher of Israel. You're going to be a real teacher, buddy. But let me plant these seeds. Isn't that wonderful? So one thing, hey, by the way, John's message, the water, it was real. Behold the lamb, very real. Number two, the tent of meeting, a.k.a. the tabernacle. Heaven and earth, the only place where they meet. Hey, by the way, this guy's walking around saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the dimension of heaven that has been veiled is back, kids. And you're welcome into it. And hi, Nicodemus. I'm here with you now and I'm there now. How you like that? Man. No one has ascended. Where did I stop? Verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we always, we never do verse 14 and 15. We always do verse 16. You feel me? Yeah. As Moses lifted up a snake on a stick in the wilderness... Here he is telling Nicodemus in his language, as Moses lifted up a snake and a stick. We know the story, yeah. right? We, we've, we've read that. We've, we've seen that story where he literally, in Numbers 21, the people were complaining and grumbling against God. The way that it's written historically is that God sent the snakes, but I fully don't, I believe that's historical writing. We can, it doesn't matter, we can do it later, but I'll win if you debate me on that. But what I'm saying is, is they place themselves back under the influence of poison because they saw God as, God, as, as in bipolar through the knowledge of good and evil. So they began to be complain against Moses. They began to complain against God. And then all of a sudden they were out of their place of authority and, and yeah. snakes were biting them, poisoning them in the wilderness, in the wilderness journey after they got broke out of the Red Sea. Remember this? Yeah. In Numbers 21. But God in his infinite wisdom comes and he tells Moses like, all right, this is what you're going to do. All right, I can't imagine the whole congregation, thousands of people, a bunch of people getting bit by these snakes, people are dying. It's like, what you're going to do is make a snake out of bronze, put a pole on it, kind of like a stick, kind of cross-like if you think about it. And we're going to put that bronze snake, and, and, and the way that they're going to be healed by it is, is they're going to they're look at it. All right, we're going to look at it, and then what? No, that's it, brother. You're just going to look at the thing. It's like, who's, who is this God? I'm just, yeah, just, just make it. I'm raising my hand in the back like, so do you want me to make it like, do you want to put gems on his eyeballs? Or like, do we need to say an incantation? They need to walk around it seven times while we did Jericho. You know, what, what is the, or, you know, that didn't happen yet. But, you know, it's like, do we got to do something with that? Not just, just look at the thing. Just stick it in the ground. If they get bit by a snake, just get them here, carry them here so that they can look at it and it'll fix them. Isn't that weird? Just me? You know what I mean? Hey, Moses, what's in your hand? Throw it on the ground. Ah, it's a snake. You know what I mean? Why is God using snakes? Like, this is weird. It's strange, isn't it? But we don't like to talk about that kind of stuff. You know, God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Yeah, but if you back up, as Moses lifted up the snake, the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. Come on. He's got to be pinned up. Nicodemus, this is his story, man. He knows this stuff. He's read it. He's got it memorized most likely. It's like he's watched that movie a thousand times. Like, yeah, hey, and no one's come down. No one's really gone up there except for the one that came down here and he's also there right now. And here right now before you, eh, you got to be born of water and the Spirit. Eh, John was real. Eh, you know what I'm saying? This whole thing's different. It's born, born of the Spirit. 
you directed of God and not of rules and regulations. Eh, all these things that aren't you the teacher of Israel? You don't understand these things. I got to be able to tell you this stuff. And by the way, the way the Son of Man that you're talking about, the God Man, he's going to have to be lifted up like that snake was lifted up in the wilderness. Like, huh? Wait, what? Like, you mean the snake? You're talking about when they got bit and that poison and that magic snake that we used to have? Like, I thought that was that's a weird story. I don't even know if it's literal, but man, it's, maybe it's an analogy or something. Jordan Peterson does a good job with the analogy of it, but I wish he would listen to a message like this. But it's like, you know, it's like, I don't understand. Like, so they're going to look at that thing. So he's trying to put the thing together, but Jesus is forecasting what he's going to do. And the rules of this world never saw it coming. Yeah, just like how that bronze snake was lifted up on a stick, the Son of Man has to do that. Hmm. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Of course. And also, he didn't send his Son in the world to condemn it. He sent that the... that. Through him, the world would be saved. And also, verse 19, while we're at it, this is actually the condemnation. You mean the judgment God's coming after? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we really want because we're so poisoned with that knowledge of good and evil, just like they were poisoned by them snake bites, just like we were poisoned from the garden, from, the, from that tree because of that snake. Uh, this is the condemnation that lights actually come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In other words, the only condemnation that happens is not a rejection from God. It's God presenting himself and being available and then saying, no thanks. I love my darkness more. That's out of his mouth, but, you know, it, it can be controversial, but it shouldn't be. You guys read the Bible. You have it right. I'm reading it straight out, right? So, so I think that's interesting. That would be scene number one of the movie. You know what I mean? Two years ago. Three years. You know what? That's how we started. It starts off two, uh, roughly two years ago. You know what I mean? 27 AD, 28 AD. That's, that's what that scene would say. No, 31 AD, sorry. Got to be ready. Then we, then we flash forward two years later, two to three years later. Scene number two. Good Friday. It's really good Thursday because it was a high Sabbath, but you know, Let's not split hairs. You know what I'm talking about. Three days before he rises again. <clears throat> Matthew 27. Let's say 50. The very end of the cross. We've watched this. We've seen this. It's tough to watch. It's painful. He gets trumped up on charges in the middle of the night by the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. So unjust. It doesn't say where Nicodemus was on this night. I have a strong suspicion that he didn't get the memo. But I can't say that for sure. Um, I know that Nicodemus appears in the Gospels. I don't see him anywhere else, but he appears in the Gospels three times. And the second time after that, John 3, he's, he does appear sticking up for Jesus in a, in, a, in a, not a real passive way, but to the other Pharisees. Like, hey man, Back off him a little bit. You never know. He's convinced, but he's not super courageous at that point. Um, trumped up charges. Jesus doesn't answer a word. He's before the high priest. He's not saying anything. He could easily defend himself. Never does. Pilate, same thing. Aren't you going to say anything? You know what I mean? It's like they don't understand that his goal is what we always talk about. It's like we don't have to do the whole thing because we do it so much here, right? So you're tracking with me. So I'm saying that to myself to keep myself from overteaching. But here it is. He's allowed it to happen. He's allowed himself to be arrested. He gets arrested in John 18, says I am, and the whole Roman fleet and all the mob gets knocked down to the ground by the power of who he is. Then he stands back up and puts his hands out and lets them take him in. A lot of people don't talk about that, but he was allowing his power to be seen, felt, and heard. He was planting seeds, but also he was heading towards the cross very, very deliberately. Can you imagine the guys that had him by the arms, yanking him in? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Do you think you can touch the embodiment of God and it not affect you? Do you think there's anything more contagious than touching, than touching the Lamb of God himself? I don't think there... We give, we give witchcraft way more power in fear. Oh, they're speaking curses on me, brother. You know what I mean? We get way hyper-charismatic, but we don't understand the power of this one who's walking around stealth. 
the people that pulled his beard out, the people that touched him. It's like, that's not going to go away. I don't believe. You're not going to be able to smack him on the face and it not actually enter into you in the next few days or weeks and it, and it have an effect. You know what I mean? I just don't think so. He picks Saul that's killing and, and stoning and arresting Christians to be, his, to be his ambassador. So he's not offended like we are. He's up there on the cross saying one thing, forgive them. They don't know. They actually don't know. And he's saying that for us. Because yeah. this isn't this penal substitution of this angry, wrathful God that's being taught all over the world today, unfortunately, that is, that is bloodthirsty and is desiring a sacrifice in order to release forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. That's an exchange. You know, that's not real forgiveness. Who he is, is the Father is in Christ bringing all people to himself. The Father, the Son, they are in full agreement. Jesus' half-brother James said it like, there is no variance or shadow or turning in him. There's not a good cop. There's not a bad cop. There's not catch him on a good day. He is always, the fruit of His Spirit is always constant. Amen. And He was redeeming everybody. He's saying those things for us to see. Right. Forgive them. They do not know. He is not accounting any of it to humanity. He is here to save and rescue humanity. Yeah. He told His disciples this. Now, John 12, 31, the judgment of this world come. The ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. They saw, they saw failure. He saw a plan. He's talking to fishermen who cast out nets and draw as many fish in as they can. And he's saying, but if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all mankind to myself. Like that's the ultimate catch. And that's what he was communicating. He knew they wouldn't get it. He knew they would think it was a failure. But he knew the end game. He knew what he was doing then. It's true. So here he is. What was the next scene? We know these things. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Boom. He breathed his last breath. That's the next scene. We see him up there. Verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. From noon that day, the sky went black. It went dark. It got so dark. There, their days literally start when the sun went down. That's how Jewish days start. This one started a little early. And I believe there may have even been a solar eclipse that day because the, in some of the other Gospels, it talks about how the, the sun was actually blocked out. But it's like the sky goes dark and storms hit and there's, there's actually an earthquake that happens as he breathes out his last breath. And now you got some of the guys that beat him up, mocked him, and were actually you know, casting him to die um, saying... Truly, this was the Son of God. Like, it's like, dude, like, now you're going to say that when some crack crack goes off, you know, like some, some earthquakes, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, boom. He didn't want him to know. He wanted to die. He knew what he was doing. He was, he's the champion, man. He was rescuing everybody. And so here he is. He breathes his last breath. And that curtain that we talked about that separated heaven from earth and God from man gets ripped from top to bottom. 15 foot tall in the tabernacle and even taller probably in the temple at that point. And it's like the thing gets ripped and it's massive. A human can't do it. And what kind of shockwaves do you think this sent through the religious system and the Pharisees that conspired against them? I mean, dude, if you, if you look at it, the earthquake and the rock split, the, the veil was torn and graves were opened up. That's a nasty earthquake. But it doesn't stop there. Graves were open. In verse 52, And many bodies of the saints who'd fallen asleep were raised to life. Huh? And coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. What? So we're talking about Happy Easter today. Oh, Happy Easter. It's a pagan goddess named Esther that's named after Pan, that's named after Baal. You know what I'm saying? That's named after Azazel. Honestly, that's in our Bible. That's in the book of Enoch. You know, hey, cool. But what really happened, there was a mass resurrection. Let's crack open some eggs. Let's, it, it was a mass resurrection. A bunch of dead people were seen in streets of, of town. You know? Hebrews 11 literally talks about, by faith, Joseph, 
right? Israel's son, Jacob's son, you know, Joseph, who got sold in, for his coat of many colors, his brothers hated him so bad, sold into slavery. Next thing you know, he's like one of the biggest rulers in Egypt. Not next thing you know, it took a while. It says, by faith, Joseph gave instruction concerning his bones. Don't bury me here, bury me over there. In the land that's been promised to our dad. That's why I want to be buried. Why? And why does Hebrews 11 say, by faith he gave instruction for where his bones would be buried? You know what I think it is? Joseph, one of them grave popper outers. There's no other real explanation for it. And there's a lot of commentaries that think this as well. I'm educated as well. But, you know, there's a lot of people that say this. Like, why is that? That's pretty random. But can you imagine that? Many saints that had been asleep for a long time are coming out of the graves after his resurrection. So three days later, not only was Jesus coming back messing with all his disciples and Mary and all them, but there's a bunch of dead old people that have popped out of their graves and they're walking around showing themselves like, hey, guess what? I'm your great-grandfather. You know, I don't know what they're doing, but they're like, you never met me before. You never met me before. You know? And one of them is walking around probably with Egyptian garb on. Probably has a lot of colors in it because that's his style. There's a guy with a coat of many colors and one of those big herringbone like them gold necklaces that are real flat and thick you know what I mean real I'm just imagining like Egyptian like man who's that rich looking guy with with a coat of many colors walking around smiling knocking on people's doors you know what I mean Joseph's one of them I feel yeah, yeah. I'm not 100% you can't be 100% but I'm pretty sure I, I think that's probably quite probable yeah. you know what I mean can you imagine that and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin who meet five days a week or six in in, in the temple because they're the governors of the region. You know, they're, they're these high, super rich. Some of the old historians say that Nicodemus was so wealthy he could have supported Israel for 10 years. I don't know if it's really true because they exaggerate a lot of stuff in this stuff. It's not in the Bible. It's in, in some of the historic writings. But, you know, it's like, can you imagine those guys meeting? And can you imagine three days after it's like, did, did anybody hear about that? It, it's just like, just who's that guy over there with the coat of many colors walking around with the big herringbone gold chain? You know what I mean? Like, it, just... Like, hey, it's a holiday weekend, man. It's Passover. It's probably from Egypt. Just don't focus on them. Don't talk to them. This is what we need to focus on right now, okay? Somebody pop this Jesus' body out of a grave. we got to somehow convince people that it was nothing more than a grave robber. Keep this thing low. And here Nicodemus is sitting in the meeting, the Monday morning uh, meeting, Sanhedrin council meeting, thinking like, so the, that violent earthquake, so did it destroy the temple? Like, no, it just... It's weird, but it just ripped the curtain from top to bottom. He's sitting there like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, snap, he done did it. He done did it. <laughs> because, you know, Nicodemus, come bury him. That's another beautiful thing about Nicodemus. Yeah. Joseph of Arimathea comes and asks the pilot, hey, I need to take him down. I need to, I need to bury him yeah. in, a very well, in a very, very nice place, which is, which is beautiful that he did that. But Nicodemus shows up with 100, some say 75, some say 100 pounds of like aloes and stuff to bury him. And Nicodemus helps bury Jesus. So he used to come by night and be embarrassed. Then he tried to stick up for him a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I don't give a flip what none of y'all think. I love this man. And so Nicodemus' brain has got to be just firing. They're like, what? He's like, so just the curtain got torn from top down? It's just like, ooh, John said, behold the lamb. Oh, huh. The sacrifices, they're over. The whole thing's over with. Yom Kippur's over with. Huh. Our religion's over with. It's done. He said it was finished. It's done. They're saying he's alive. Could he really be alive? Oh, my gosh. Huh. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. Wait a second. He intended to be lifted up by like, huh. he intended to do that. Hey, the snake poisoned you guys, and it set you in a state you were never supposed to be in. In the wilderness, I'm talking about. So look at this snake that's on a pole, and it makes the poison go away. Huh. Nicodemus is like, but the snake was in the garden, and he got us to eat religion. The tree that Jesus cursed, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and that poisoned mankind to see God as bipolar and as good and evil. And now he says, if, if you look at him hanging on the tree, the way that, that, don, that, that bronze snake was on the tree, there's no more hoops to jump through. You just actually have to see it for what it is. 
and it takes the poison out of you if you can see it. And the Apostle Paul comes you know, 20, 30 years later. He's like, yeah, actually, that's what he told me. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that when we see him without a veil over our face, without a misconception, when we actually see him, this is the only real religion. This is the only religion where you're transformed by what you see. Oh, but you've got to repent and you've got to own it and you've got to walk through counsel. And you gotta, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is like, if, if you see him as he is, the kindness of God, the reality of what he's done, it will lead to all of that. It, it's a chain reaction. It will transform you by seeing him. You see the one whose image you've been created in and it causes the transformation to kick off in you and you live this way. And you join up with others who live this way. And he called this ecclesia, this church, this, this place that is the gates of hell wouldn't be able to prevail against it because people will take this message to the ends of the earth. Amen. You know? And it's not about, oh, you know, brother, amen, you're, we're all just sinners, just saved by grace, but we're sinners. That's what it is. That's your identity. And it's like, no, we've taken that way, way sideways out of context. The Apostle Paul's like, yeah, while we were yet sinners, he died for us then. It was never our identity. This is who we are. We see that pole, we see that snake, and it's like, oh, I've been crucified with Christ. Everything I see in him is who I truly am. He's the image of God, but he's the image of... I've been creating his image. He showed me what Abba... He shows me my Father in heaven. Oh, that's who I really am. I've been living a lie. Oh, you still are that, brother. Yeah, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your religion doesn't transform you, you are still that. But that is a doctrine of hell. And I know it's preached around the world, and the majority, but it's not true. And it's easy to shoot holes in all day long. And Jesus taught something completely different. It says he was resurrected. He was raised for our justification. He was raised, right? From the dead. Right? Romans, what is it, 425? As justification, as proof that it worked. And then not only did he come around, a bunch of, a bunch of his buddies came out of the graves and showed themselves to people like, hey, I'm your great uncle, you know? you know. I don't know what they were doing or who they were talking to, but they were around and it's in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? And an angel comes and shows up whose face looks like lightning and moves the dang stone. That's frightening. They think that's an earthquake. That's how Easter Sunday morning happened. An earthquake. Everyone's scared to death. <laughs> we done messed up, man. We done messed up. He's coming back to kill us all. He's going to kill every last one of us. I hit him in his face, dude. But I spit on him. It was my idea to put the crown on him. Oh, snap. Like he's coming to kill us. Like, no, he saved us all. And you're probably first in line. You got some of it on you, dude. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, snap. He doesn't hold it against us. No, he literally said it. Forgive. They don't know what they're doing. It's okay. It's okay. You're ripping my face off. It's okay. You don't know, but I'm here to get it all. And if you can see it on the tree, if you can see it for what it is, it takes the poison out of you. That's what he told Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, wow, he is crazier than I could have ever imagined, but he's more brilliant than anybody could have ever seen. And he redeemed the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Mary Magdalene walks in a little bit later. She walks in. He's gone. She's upset. There's two angels sitting in there in John 20. One at the head and one at the foot, just like the holiest place. Just like where the veil was torn and there was two angels facing each other made of gold. Now, hey, like that was just a, that was yeah, that was just a, a symbol, guys. Your whole religion was just a symbol, guys. And they're sitting in there. One, two, head and the foot. And they're sitting in there, and it's still not good enough for her. That's the mercy seat. There was blood there, probably his body. Probably dripped a little bit on there, even though he's embalmed, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's not here. She walks out, John 20. She's still upset. She's distraught. She's Middle Eastern, so she's probably really getting turned up about it. Ah, you know. And Jesus comes say, woman, why are you crying? What a joke is that? Instead of saying, Mary, hey, Mary, it's okay. He's like, oh, I'm going to take this opportunity to have a little fun here. Hey, woman, uh, what are you crying about? You know what I mean? What are you crying for? And it's just like, just tell me where you laid them, Mary. Ooh, boom. You know what I mean? Luke 24, he's on the road to Emmaus. There's two people talking about, like, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the one. Jesus literally walks up to them in a form that they've never recognized. Luke 24. So what are you guys talking about? It's like, dude, you know what they're talking about. Just having fun. He knew, like, oh, man. You ever get, your, get somebody a gift, especially a kid, like, 
they have no clue like, oh, they're going to be so flipped out about this. It's going to be so wonderful to give it. Like he's just like, oh, this is going to be, he's having fun this whole time. You know, what are you guys talking about? Don't you understand that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer? Don't you understand what was written in the prophets? They're like, oh my gosh. Oh man, we feel a lot better being around you. Why don't you stay here and have dinner with us? Luke 24, he sits down, breaks the bread. They recognize that it's him. In other words, they were constrained. We know, from now on, we know no man by the flesh is what the scripture says. Even though we once knew Christ by the flesh, we don't know him that way anymore. Don't limit it, how you see him, how you recognize him, how you know him, it must be by the Spirit. So there he is, man. He, he's eating, eating lunch with them, and next thing you know, he vanishes. They're like, oh my gosh, it's him. And it, when he vanishes, he goes down and he meets the other disciples in John 20 and shows up at their house while they're all literally with the doors locked because they're afraid of the Jews. Like, man, if they trumped up charges on him and killed him, they could kill us. And he shows up in the middle of their little... I would say party, but like, you know, kind of funeral party three days later. And they freak out. Ah! You know what I mean? He's like, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. He's like, calm down, look. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Hey, give me some honeycomb to eat. I'll show you that I'm not a ghost. Let me eat in front of you. Can you imagine how funny all this stuff is? So this has happened. And then it says in Luke 24, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. Thomas shows up. I love when Thomas shows up because Thomas didn't get to be there. And he's like, I will not believe unless I get to see his hands and his feet. And so Jesus shows up the next, that's like eight days later, a week after Easter, a week and one day. He says, hey, Thomas, come touch my hands, little buddy. Come touch my side. Come on. I know what you said. You know what I mean? It's, he has so much fun with people. He shows up cooking food on the beach. He shows up to... To 1,500 people at once. You know, it says he shows up to his brother, James, his half-brother. His little brother was bent way out of shape. But the Bible says he actually showed up and talks to James. Hey, buddy. <gasps> you know, and then James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You know, like a, a really big hitter and writes part of our Bible. You know, it's like, it's just so absolutely beautiful and brilliant what this day is really about. But it's not about a religion. You know what I mean? And it's not about like, oh, now it's, this is Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to have some guests. Invite your neighbors. So we can say the sinner's prayer and say, if you say this, you will not go to hell. And then we'll give you a Bible afterwards and a new membership sign-up sheet, and uh, we'll get you in our life groups. Hey, we have an awesome Easter egg hunt for the kids and photo booths and a photographer. Sorry, okay, I'm just getting going. I've seen that so much on, on like social media this week. It's like, golly, leave me alone. I'm trying to look at the house of highlights, look at some dunks. And I'm getting, come to my church, brother, you know. It's just like, dude, just, can you leave me alone? I want to see a dunk. Israel Adesanya is fighting this week, and I'm stressed about it. I want to, see, you know, see the interview. Okay, so, uh, yeah, uh, okay, so that's, 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 that's the story. That's a good story. And think about Nicodemus's mind. Think about Nicodemus putting all this together. Like, wow, whoa, you did it. It was real. You meant to do this. You know. The Apostle Paul saying, hey, like when you look at that cross, you associate, you reckon yourself dead unto sin. What does that mean? No, no, I'm a sinner, Paul. Don't you understand? Like, yeah. No. You reckon yourself dead unto that. It's not that we don't make mistakes sometimes. Everybody will. You know what I mean? But that it is not your identity. That while we were yet sinners, he did this for us, and it was for the joy that was set before him, Romans 12, 2 says, that he endured the cross. He went through it, and he planned on it, and he knew how bad it would be. But he had so much joy that it overshadowed. It says he despised the shame. It means he thought little of the shame that would come of it. It's like, ah, that's not, the shame and the drama and the pain is not nearly enough to sway me from, from, from the finish line of that plan. Because I care about them, I love them, and I want them all. Amen. And if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was the game. That was the reality. Yeah. I love this. I love this stuff. And the thing about it is, is it's true. Everything we see that's of Him is for us. You know? And it's just like the snake that was lifted up on the tree that he associated with himself, saying literally that was just an analogy of what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the poison of mankind if I'm lifted up. He did that. 
We didn't do that. Nicodemus didn't do that. Nicodemus was probably offended for a few minutes and was trying to figure it out and didn't catch it until the end. You know, once he heard he was resurrected, and I don't know if there's a story of him coming back to him. I think there's probably a lot of stories of him coming back to a lot of people that aren't in the Bible, but there's, we just can't do it because it's not in the Bible. Some of the church fathers and stuff like that, you know. Uh, obviously the apostle. You know, one person is the apostle Paul. You know, 1 Corinthians 11, because that'll help us to kind of shift into our clothes of what we like to do on Easter Sunday, a resurrection Sunday, and what we like to do. Um, but the Apostle Paul, literally in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, he says, I received from the Lord Jesus that which I also delivered you concerning the Lord's Supper, that on the night he was betrayed, he took this bread and said, eat, this is my body, drink, this is my blood. This is communion. This is the covenant of God. And it's like, the thing about Paul is like, he didn't know the Lord until several years after this. I mean, he lived out in the wilderness like Obi-Wan Kenobi did watching over uh, uh, Luke Skywalker. He lived out in the wilderness for a, for a solid time after he had the blinders come off his eyes and change his name from Saul to Paul. It was so traumatic he became a believer, but he didn't instantly go into the church scene. He actually took time out, 10 to 13 years. But he says in 1 Corinthians 11 that he received communion by Jesus coming and showing it to him. Yes, that's in our Bible. This Obi-Wan Kenobi, Paul, you know, Paul, greater than any Kenobi there ever has been or Skywalker, but Paul the Apostle, which was once Saul, He's talking to them about the importance of communion because like, look, Jesus gave this the night before he was betrayed and he told his disciples, do this often in remembrance. Associate yourself with this. This is your religion. This is your reality now. You know, it's the snake that's on the tree. Everything you see in me is for you. But every bit of darkness that you see that was taken on that tree, that poison, you can separate yourself from. And so then we get our refrigerator scriptures like Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I died when, that, when he died. It's no longer I live, but the life I now live, I live by the faithfulness of him. The faith of the Son of God. That's the real translation. It's not even my faith in him. It's like his faithfulness. He finished the covenant and it's not my works. And I associate myself as dead. And all of my sin, I associate it on him just like that poison and I allow it to be taken from me. And here he is saying this, this verse about what it looks like to gaze upon the Lord. But communion is actually doing this reality, like associating yourself with the bread, the body that was broken, and the blood that was shed on our behalf. That our sin is as far from the east as from the west. He says, do it often. This is the new covenant. So Jesus apparently comes back and teaches Paul how to do this, not the other disciples, which is so great. And he goes on and he says, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an, in an irreverent manner, will be guilty of the body and blood. But let a man examine himself and eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment because he did not discern the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and many are sick and many sleep. But if, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And I know a lot of people are scared of that. They've heard that their whole life. Like, yeah, well, get your, get your communion ready. But, you know, some people die. If, they're, if you've been in sin, you're going to die from taking communion. You know what I mean? It's going to get you, boy, you know. But it's so, it's so dumb, to be honest. It doesn't even make sense. What he's literally saying, people do this in an irreverent way. They don't associate the bread with his body and the blood with, with this wine. And, and actually look upon it and realize if you would judge yourself, it's like, am I, when I, when I see his body broken, when I see this, just like the snake on the tree, when I see him on that tree, do I associate everything dark that I'm dealing with, with being upon that tree? And if I don't, it's a time for me to adjust it and, and leave it there and walk away new because of what he's done. Amen. It's very simple. And he said, people don't associate. They, they've turned this into just a ritual. It doesn't mean anything to them. And because of this, many people are sick and many people go to sleep early. In other words, people are dying and people are sick 
and they shouldn't be, it's because they're not connecting to the power of what he's done. That's what he's saying. These people didn't die, y'all. These people weren't catching cancer. These people weren't getting sick with disease. They had to be killed. They had to be killed, hunted and killed. You feel that? And John couldn't be killed, if you want to talk about it. But Paul had to be. All these guys, they had to be taken out because they weren't dying. They entered into this covenant that's our inheritance to step into. Selah. All right. Let's, um, sounds like the natives might be getting a bit restless around here. So, all right. So there's quite a few people here. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to make our way in the most orderly way possible. We have communion to take um, for all those who would like to. Um, We're going to do that in our clothes today. Or if you listen to this on a podcast, you can do it in yourself. We'll give you a second. So what we'll do, what I think we should do is maybe like we have three large sections. So this section can get up and get your little cup of, it's not, not wine. So if you're worried about that, it's just grape juice and there's bread over there. We'll do that. We'll do it in sections because it's kind of hard to pass out this type of group for a couple minutes. And then we will reckon ourselves as dead to sin and rejoice in what Jesus has done. How about that? Well, Lord Jesus, we come together as a family and as a household of faith, your family. And even in Luke 24, when you told our big brothers, the disciples, that it was it was necessary for you to suffer and to rise, that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in your name. We come in, in the power of that repentance and remission of sins, that our ability to actually change our mind, that repentance was literally the ability to change our mind and come out of agreement with anything we've been in agreement with. And because of that, there would be a a remission of sins, that we'd be released from even the effects of the fall that have touched us. And Lord, I thank you that we do this with reverence, with your body that was broken and beat up and ripped apart, shredded up on our behalf, that by your stripes, you've purchased wholeness and healing for us in our physical bodies and on the outside. And you've called for us to live with nothing less than complete and total wholeness. And that your blood was shed. And that you've covered us from sin, from the penalty of the fall, from everything all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And that we're no longer to see ourselves as sinners, but as the beloved of God. And it doesn't matter what we've done or where we've been, but you've seen it, known it, and still paid for it all. And so even as we gaze upon you, gaze upon the lengths of what you went through, we take this communion with reverence and thanksgiving that you are the champion and that you took within yourself everything that was coming to us. And so we thank you, Lord. He won. Yeah. The king is the champion and he rescued everybody. He rescued every one of us. And it is how we're called to see each other. It's how we're called to see ourselves. It's how we're called to see complete strangers. Even when we speak those things which are not as though they are, this is our reality. The champion is our king. And he defeated death. Took the keys of death and hell. He has plans for every single life and for every single person. And nobody's disqualified. And even when you hear that, if it comes to your mind, like, yeah, but, yeah, but, well, I just thought it ought... None of that matters to him at all. Zero. And that's, that's the game, y'all. The game is done. It's over with, and it's already won. And if you find yourself in that place um, of inspiration to turn to, or, to him, do it. You don't have to come talk to me or anybody else. You know? Give yourself to him, because he's given himself to you. The one persecuting Christians the absolute most, Saul, you know, literally said, when it, was, when it was time, he revealed that his son was in me. In other words, like, hey, I already got you. You're fighting against me. You're kicking against the goads, but I've already infected you with life and with light, and you're playing for the wrong team. That's only controversial to the religious machine that wants people disqualified. But it is the gospel. And that's why it's called good news. He called everybody. 
and the plans and purposes that he has for you and for your life, they are not miserable and religious. They will cause you to come alive. And the dreams of your heart, even from a child, from the age of a child, and the desires that you've had were rooted in your DNA that Abba placed within you inside your mother's womb. And all this is called to come alive. And for you to reach the world in a profound way that will cause so much life and joy to come out of you. And he's calling you into it. Thank you.